Our first Bible reading today is taken from Acts 15, 1 to 21. That's Acts 15, 1 to 21. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some, of, uh, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they travelled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they were told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. That the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord. Who does these things, things that are known long ago? It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, my name is Jo. I'm uh, reading the second reading today, which is from, sorry, uh, James chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. 
because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at their face in a mirror and after looking at themselves goes away and immediately forgets what they look like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. World. This is the word of the Lord. The Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Abuse. Um, the title really says it all. I don't think you really need to read the report because it tells us that within particular institutions, children were abused. And then once that had happened, the institutes, the institutions responded in particular ways that then required a royal commission. And those institutions, many of them were Christian churches, and effectively what happened was this. They said one thing, and they did completely an evil thing. And those saying, as far as the Christian churches were concerned and the Christian institutions were concerned, those saying that they believed in a God who cared, they failed to care. And many times they failed to care for even orphans in their distress, and that's something that's addressed directly, actually, in our passage today. And we know, don't we, that the Royal Commission investigated the systemic failures. And it's very easy for us to point and say, aha, aha. And sadly, some of us will point and say, woe is me, because we were impacted. But what James does today in his letter is he speaks to our personal fails. Because it's true, isn't it? Like, if you're like me, uh, we know God's way of love, but I find it easier often to be unkind and selfish. And what I practice is not true religion, but it's bad religion, actually, I often don't stick to what I know to be true in the Christian faith. And James asks us a really, really good and helpful and large question this morning in this context. How can a person live in a way that pleases God? How can a person live in a way that actually blesses others? In his own words, how can a person be mature? How can we produce the righteousness that God desires? And I'm using that language there because it's, it's verse 20. And that's kind of what I'm seeing as my key verse today. Chapter 1, verse 20. Because James says, um, these things don't produce the righteousness that God desires. <clears throat> and we hate hypocrisy, don't we, in other, other people. We tolerate it in ourselves. <laughs> but James is saying, God's saying through James, doesn't work. 
There's no place for that actually in Christian life and living. So how can we produce the righteousness that God desires? Well, there's some really, really good news. Because I don't know if you are like me reading the book of James, you feel like he's got this kind of plank of four by two and he's absolutely smacking you between the eyes with every kind of sentence that he says. And if you come away feeling like that, I think you've misread actually the letter to James. And here's why. Because he's saying pretty well every step of the way, here are the resources that God gives to actually grow up and be people who not only hear the word, not only receive the word humbly, but also practice the word. We can actually live out the word of grace that we've received and give to others. Let's pray and ask for God's help now because we need it by his spirit to be able to understand and to do it. Let's pray. Father, you've shown us mercy in Christ Jesus so we might live to bring you glory in everything that we do. So please help us listen now to your word, humbly accept your word, and empower us by your same spirit to do what you say. And we pray it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. The word is a really key concept in James. Uh, He says it a lot. He said it already a lot just in the passage that we looked at last week. And he's saying it a lot again in our passage today. So so what is it? Well, in chapter 118, we hear this. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Now, we know James was Jesus' brother and he was also Jesus' disciple. So if you want to know about the word that James heard, you can read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Uh, James was present hearing the words of Jesus. But we've also heard a little bit about what James understood of the word this morning in our reading from Acts chapter 15. Do you remember what he says there? Um, He says, well, no, it's not about the law because that was the trouble that they were dealing with. He says, God purifies hearts by giving the Holy Spirit to all through the grace of the Lord Jesus. That's how people are saved and reconnected with God the Father. And then he says, here are the things that you just got to worry about, right? Food that's been sacrificed to idols. Sex that doesn't match up with how God has created it to be. Um, Strangled, the meat of strangled animals and blood. That's all. Because he knows that what God has taken care of in the blood of Jesus is everything that people need to be right with God again. And then we come to the letter of James itself. And he starts by saying in chapter 1, verse 1, he uses the, the title, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, whenever anyone is kind of packing those terms together, kind of like we've understood a bit in the, our series on the Apostles' Creed, is a lot is being said that Jesus of Nazareth is God's promised saving king, the Messiah, the Christ, and risen now, he is Lord over everybody. And then he goes on to use the word faith twice. By trusting in this Jesus Christ who is Lord, you can have new life with God. Verse 1, chapter 118, you can be born again. There's the word, there's the gospel that James knows. He's heard it from his brother. He's received it himself 
and now he's living it out. So how do people do righteousness? How can God's people produce righteousness? Well, trust and live out the life-giving word in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then here we go. And so James, he's got the four by two in one hand and he's got the resources in the other. And he gives us a really clear practical progression. Listen, welcome, do. First of all, listen to the word. Have a look at verses 19 and 20. This is James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. My dear brothers and sisters, so he loves these people. Take note of this, underline it. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And here's the reason, because human anger does not produce God-likeness. Human anger does not produce God's righteousness. Um, this is good advice any time, okay? So practice this. Be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. And slow to become angry. Consider things. Think about things. Calm down. That's good any time. But what he's talking about is that God's goal is to produce righteousness and these things are not just general advice, it's actually gospel word-centered instruction. Listen to the word, because this is the first step in bearing fruit, being part of the juicy first fruits of the harvest, an eternal harvest that's actually coming, the harvest of your own soul that lasts into eternity. But sometimes seeing the invisible opposites help us understand what's just being talked about. So this is what I mean. So I've just reversed what's been said in verse 19. Be slow to listen to the gospel. Or in fact, don't listen to it at all. Be really quick to make up your own mind, completely uninformed by Jesus. Be quick to get angry, especially because you've forgotten that life is not about grace. It's about what you deserve and what you should have and what other people should give you. But beware, this produces the opposite of God's righteousness. And it's actually worthy of his condemnation. Now, I've expressed it in the opposite so you can feel the weight of that. Okay, but he's saying, no, no, no. Don't want you to go there, actually. Want you to come the other way. What does God want? His righteousness to be informed in us. How does that happen? Listening to Jesus and not ourselves. So here's the obvious question as a bit of a point of application. Are you listening? So I, I just did a study of... of my potential progression from wake up through till about 8 a.m. <clears throat> Here's the potential. I pick up my phone, I look to the news first, I check the emails, maybe listen to some music, I see what my YouTube algorithms wanted to bring me today, I check into Instagram, TikTok, and that's probably enough by 8 a.m. But I tell you what, if I tread that path, I'm anxious and I'm wondering if the war in Ukraine is over yet. Is it over yet? Is it over yet? Because all these things are informing me, right? These are the words that are coming into me. 
But do you note what Paul and Barnabas and James and Peter have wanted to be on about um, back in Acts 15 and now James more so here? They're just saying, do you know what God's plan for you is? It's all in Jesus Christ. Do you know what God's been working on um, right throughout everything that he's done up to this point is in Jesus? And you know what's going on into the future? It's all Jesus working its way out. And his grace is the way that he relates to people. And he wants to give people the crown of life. And actually, when you really get a grip on that, it brings peace to your soul now because you know that your eternity is taken care of. And so I'm just asking myself, and I want to ask you, and the challenge is this, how do you and how do I actually organise my day so that God's good word to me in the grace of Christ is actually flowing in and going out? Ian's initiative in in SOAP, I think, has just been excellent. It's so great, actually, to be thinking all together about how we might cultivate a daily habit, individually, but then corporately, of this very thing, of listening to the Word of God and trying to meditate on it so that we would grow up as people who are of the Word and are of His grace, Um, and so that Perhaps when we first see each other, we would say, have you soaped? Because we actually want to be encouraging each other to listen to the word, which is going to be the foundation for producing godly character, righteousness. So the second step in this really practical progression of producing God's righteousness is welcoming the word. And that's verse 21, welcome the word. Let's have a read. Therefore... Because your own judgment's going to be a train wreck and it's not going to produce righteousness. Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. So in order to understand, I just want to draw out the obvious contrasts that are here. Perhaps the biggest one is that that only the implanted word of Jesus Christ has the power to save. And so the, the obvious opposite is that anything else won't. The word has power to give forever life with God. And yet we find it so difficult to actually listen to that word and accept it. Now on the other side, there's a, they're really strong descriptions, aren't there? Immoral or dishonorable actions and motives actually will kill the soul. It won't save your soul. And what is this immorality? Well, it's anything that doesn't conform to an accepted standard. And in biblical terms, the standard is God himself. And then it gets even stronger. Wickedness being morally wrong or evil. That is the direct opposite of God. Now, you might feel like, now, hang on a sec. I'm not the devil. I'm not carrying around a pitchfork. I'm not someone who is actually pursuing Satan's agenda here. But the trouble for us is, is that Jesus so regularly, and James here who follows Jesus, just paints things in such stark terms. There is no middle ground, actually. And so that's going to be a challenge to us, but it's a gracious word that wants us to actually come back. But let me give you an idea as we hear from Jesus himself, and I want to read to you from Mark chapter 14, oh, sorry, Mark chapter 4, from verse 13. It's a really famous parable as Jesus explains the parable of the sower. This is Mark chapter 4, verse 13. And Jesus gives us an idea of you're with him or you're not. You're receiving the word or you're not. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? 
How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. And it's quite an amazing thing for the disciples then and for us now to wrap their minds around because it just seemed so crazy. That something so small, that something seemingly so weak, that seemingly something so useless like a seed, the word that Jesus spoke was so great and so powerful that it alone would produce new life in those who would hear it, receive it and live it. And that's partly the challenge for us because we've got to hear what God says and realise that we've got to hang on to what Jesus says and get rid of really anything else that's trying to lead us and pull us and take us away from that. So why do we, and here's just a kind of bit of a, a bit of application, why do we actually choose what's not of the Lord Jesus? And I heard a really helpful kind of reflection on this um, during the week. It's because what we often do is we choose the good in what's not of Jesus. So there are many good things sitting there in the context of whatever it is we might choose, but it's not the best and they're not eternal. Here's a, maybe a bit of a tangential way of kind of understanding it. The last uh, couple of days I've been up and back to Sydney and there are extended sections of road work and in one of those sections the, both lanes are operating, but because the, the shoulder is being worked on, the speed limit is lower. And of course I observe the speed limit. <laughs> but I watched many people who didn't. And it just got me thinking, what would be the harm of going at the regular speed limit? I'm an excellent driver. <laughs> My car functions well. Why don't I just do that? Wouldn't be bad. And I do back myself, actually. <laughs> but it's kind of like that. <clears throat> it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be terribly, crushingly bad thing. And the worst that could happen, maybe the worst, maybe not the worst, is that I could get a fine for going at, over the speed limit. But what ends up happening for us is this. And James has already described it in verses 13 to 15. We kind of start to doubt God. We back our own advice. We take that decision, and then just by degrees, we're heading to hell, James says. But what I want to encourage you with is this. What James is actually urging us towards is this, fractional sanctification. Because growing in righteousness and God-likeness and Christ-likeness is not a matter of understanding it, and then suddenly it's all perfect. It's a matter of just by degrees letting him inform us and doing what he says and growing in that. And let the gospel within you 
actually grow as Jesus' word has more power than your own word. And thirdly, this practical progression to produce God's righteousness, yes, listen. Welcome it humbly, but do the word. And that's what's being said in verses 22 and 25. James chapter 1, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And then verse 25. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, and he's talking about the gospel of grace in Christ, and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So he's saying hearers and not doers are self-deceivers because the believing actually would show itself in living. So if you're not doing it, you're showing that you don't really know the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a massive challenge to us in Canberra because we operate a very high conceptual and intellectual level. And we've been taught in school that you need to understand and pass the test. And if you can understand and pass the test and tick it all off, you're a legend. And a lot of the rest of your life will be like that. But what God's saying here through James, it does not work like that. Because if you know and don't show, you actually don't know. <laughs> and we need, to, we need to be challenged by that. So it's not just for your ears and mind, but for your life. And so the question becomes, are you doing the word and being blessed? Um, the staff have been challenged recently, and if, you, if any of you were at the recent CMS dinner, um, you've been challenged as well by a brother in Christ, Warwick de Jersey, an Australian guy who's gone now to Dubai to work at Fellowship Dubai. And what he's been working on together with the team there and the church there over the last eight to ten years or so is to revolutionise the way that people think about being Christian. Because this is what he's reflected on coming from our circles. He says that in Australia and in evangelical Christianity in Australia, we have a tendency to let revelation be a sign of maturity. That is, the more you know, the more mature you are. But in his own reflection on Matthew 28, 18 to 20, and I reckon some of the stuff that James is saying, he's basically saying, no, no, Christian maturity shows itself in experimentation, that is living it out, that is also leading to multiplication. <laughs> that is, Christian maturity shows itself in the doing and the living and being involved in the mission and seeing that actually come to pass. Wow. That's a pretty massive challenge for someone like me uh, in Christian ministry, because that means I'm responsible for helping you live James. And I've got to actually do it myself. Now, I've ticked a lot of boxes, right, in the study that I've done. I did four years at Moore Theological College. I was absolutely no genius, but I passed the course. And I could be forgiven for thinking, yeah, of course I'm mature. I know all that stuff. Uh-uh. <laughs> I've got to actually... Live it out, because true faith is never alone. That's what's being said here. And if I, if I think that I'm mature just because of what I understand, but I'm not living it out, I am deceiving myself. Oh, who wants to be known like that? <laughs> what an idiot. 
Now, I've been reflecting on this in uh, the context of the foundations course because I'm responsible for putting that together, right, and running it. And I've been really, really emphasising that people would be clear on the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is, why he came. People have to prepare a two-minute gospel so that they have to reflect on what Jesus said and make it clear, but they have to do a 20-word version and a 50-word version and a 200-word version, raking them over, making them redraft um, so that they're clear. They've got to work on their personal testimony so they understand Jesus in the context of their own lives and how God has been at work. We look through the whole of the Gospel of Mark asking the question, who is Jesus? Why did he come? What does it mean for us? But I think in the light of James, I have to ask myself, I think I need to be asking these guys, what are you doing? (laughs) And how does that show anything of what you're believing? So that'll be the redraft for next year. But I think I'll have to have a word to say to everybody (laughs) before the baptism and confirmation day. But here's a word of encouragement, because like I said, there is gold in the midst of what James is saying, even though we might be feeling that we're being hit between the eyes by a plank of four by two. Because he's saying, no, 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 the resources are here and actually the blessing is here. And I just want to give you a word of testimony in the way that I've experienced that. There's a brother in Christ in Italy called Gaston. He was from the Ivory Coast. He was a religious and a political exile from the Ivory Coast because of some of the things that were going down there. So he found his way to Italy. He was absolutely reliant on the generosity and the grace of uh, people in Italy and in particular in the church that we were attending. And so... As a response to the God of grace, one of the things that, that I would ensure is that he would come around to our, our place semi-regularly for a meal. Um, I would make sure that he had what he needed, but also just um, each time we would meet, I would give him, say, five to ten euros, just enough so that he might have something in his pocket, but that he wouldn't feel like I was his personal banker and he'd be knocking on the door the next day for another loan. Now, that was really good for my own heart actually, to be pressing in to being very practical in those terms. In 2018, when I went back to Italy for the wedding of a guy who'd been an apprentice under me on campus, um, I didn't have much time, and Gaston had found out that I, that I was in Florence for a little while, and he was really, really desperate that we would catch up. So we had about half an hour together before I jumped on the train in Florence to go elsewhere. And what he did in that, one of the things he did in that moment was he pulled out 50 euros from his wallet, because his own circumstances had changed, and he gave it to me. And I knew what was going on. Because he was saying, I'm going to respond to the grace of God and thank you for how you did it to me. And it was very, very good. So I was blessed in the first instance, actually, of serving him. I was blessed in that second instance as he served me and just showed me grace and said thanks. It was awesome. And... That's the vision that God has for us, actually. It's the concrete reality. And the the encouragement to us is, can you go deeper into the blessing? Do you want to come deeper into it? Do you want to know the righteousness of God as you actually tangibly experience it? As you give it out, but then it comes back to you? Because here's how it works, right? Because God has thought first about me and freed me up, actually, from being enslaved and sinfully selfish, serving myself, what I want to do is respond to him and glorify him, but my, then my greatest concern becomes you. And if your greatest concern is the Lord Jesus and then me, I just don't have to worry about myself anymore. 
because you're worrying about me. And if it's working well, you don't have to worry about yourself anymore because I'm worrying about you. That's grace. That's the fullness of it, isn't it? That's what God has for us and he wants for us. And that's what he's actually talking about. Press into this. Press in. Come in. Come in. Because it does actually just get better and better as you walk more fully into the grace of God in Christ. So how can a person produce the righteousness that God desires? What does true religion look like? And he finishes by saying this. Bite your tongue. Open your heart. Be in the world, but not of the world. So have a look with me at verses 25 to 26. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. And their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So true religion, it's a scrupulous observance of the rituals of faith. And he says a key to doing this is just shut your mouth, bite your tongue. Listen to his word. Stop talking a good game. We're just so often the experts about everything, aren't we? (laughs) But we're just listening to ourselves. And so we don't really genuinely, deeply trust the Lord's take on everything. And he says, you know how this world really works? works? It works on grace. You know why? Because from within me, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, that's how it works. And as we spin it out to the rest of the world, that's how it works. And so practical Christianity, genuine trust, means letting Jesus' word come more into your ears and out of your mouth than your own ideas. And then he says, true religion actually comes out in a life of grace, undeserved kindness to those who don't deserve it, the vulnerable, those who can't repay. And it's so significant that he would talk about orphans and widows. Because in that context, maybe the worst an orphan could expect would be left to to die. The best an orphan could expect is actually to be taken up as a, as a slave, free slave, to be used and abused in any way, lowest of the low. And widows in similar circumstances, if, if the culture and the family won't take care of a woman whose husband has just died, then she's absolutely on her own, open to who knows what kind of abuse. And basically he's saying, you want to get on with grace and you want to really deeply understand it, We'll show it. Show it to people who don't deserve it. Show it to people who've got no power whatsoever. Because you know what? At least in Israel's history, that was exactly the circumstance that Israel had experienced. When, and God describes it in different places. You were orphaned. You were left by the side of the road. You still had the afterbirth left on you. And I picked you up and I adopted you and I took you. It wasn't because of anything you did. I adopted you. And so true religion goes out into the world. And instead of being polluted by the world, it infects the world with love and righteousness and grace. So grace-based living actually serves the vulnerable and it frees us from the tyranny of self-serving. And it's so good, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I love it when I'm worried less about me because I know Jesus has got that under control. And therefore I can be freed up actually to care for you. It frees my mind and gives me purpose. And it produces God's righteousness, Christ-likeness, loving and blessing others, and showing them undeserved kindness. So I started by referring to the Royal Commission, and I'm really sorry to have to do that, but it's just a testimony in our own times of when people have done the opposite of what God's calling them to do. <laughs> cursing others, and in themselves, they curse, and in the end, they curse themselves. And we are still feeling the effects. You know why safe ministry exists? It's 
directly related to what our brothers and sisters did not do. And what James is actually saying is, come on, come on, come on. Come deeper into grace. Come deeper into blessing because it's all there. You don't have to work for it. Jesus has done it. You just come and enjoy the benefits. Let's pray that we would. Please join me. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word of grace in Christ. Your undeserved kindness which comes to us by faith because he is the Lord. He is the saviour. He is risen and he wants to give good gifts to your people. Father, please help us to listen to his word. Please help us to welcome his word and let be humble underneath it so that he would rule over us and help us to do what he says. And we pray, Father, that you would give us the joy of seeing that fruit being born in our community here at St Matthew's and through us in the lives of other people beyond us, that we would be completely authentic, completely full of integrity, Father God, and practising your grace. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.